1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center. This hour, the jump in stocks, the drop in yields, what the Fed might do in a couple hours from now that could impact both. The Investment Committee is with me for the answer. Joining me today... Joe Terranova, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Richard Saperstein, High Tower Treasury Partners CIO. Let's check the markets. We are green across the board, except for that important thing there at the bottom. That's the ten-year note yield, it dropped a lot this morning, 4.79. All right, Joe. First trading day in November, best month of the year historically. Decision two o'clock news conference after. Gundlock after that with me on closing bell. So there's a lot to look forward to, but it's the, really the other, the other big event today that you were waiting for. That's the treasury refunding. Yes. It moved the market because it came in lower than expectations. Now there was economic data as well. Bond yields on the long end went down. Mm-hmm. And that's where we find ourselves today. Absolutely. You got what you wanted? Uh, yes.
2: In fact, we did. We learned what $2 billion is worth to the market. It's worth 15 basis points lower. $2 billion is the difference between the increase uh, from the treasury refunding in August, the billion. 14 billion should have been the number if they kept that pace. They slowed the pace down to 112 just the fact that they're acknowledging just the fact well, they're that doing they're it on acknowledging
1: the short end too, two and 5 rather than on the long end too. Well, they're 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 recognizing that
2: on the long end uh, the TBAC is recognizing that the long end, the demand is beginning to wane. And that's comforting to the market. That's all we needed. It's inconsistent with Treasury
1: Secretary Yellen's remarks last week, but I like the actions, not the words. All right, so Bryn, it's good to have you in the house, by the way. Um, all right, so as we said, first trading day of what is historically the best month of the year for stocks. Now, it's not so much what the Fed does today, I think we all can agree on that, it's what Powell says. Uh, how, how do you think we're, we're set up here for the, the next, let's just call it two months. Yep. I think people are, f- are content with knowing what's in store for the next two months or at least having an idea.
3: I think the mutual fund selling is over. That's very important that October 31st, that selling has ended. Seasonality is a real thing. And actually, if you go back to 1985, the median return in November for the Nasdaq has been 3.85 percent. So you're definitely setting up between the mutual fund selling done, seasonality kicking in. And we'll see what happens with Apple, which we'll get to later. But I think today with the Fed, I think Powell, as the market's saying, is not going to raise rates. But ultimately, where I think there's a ceiling on stocks longer term is that the Fed and fiscal policy are at a counter trend, they're fighting each other. And the massive amount of fiscal stimulus we've had over the last three years is still working its way through the economy. And I don't understand how the Fed can say, we want to slow growth, while you still have billions and billions of dollars being spent locally with different programs inside of the American Recovery Act. And so I think that means higher inflation, higher yields, which ultimately puts a lid on stocks, but seasonality is real, and so I think if I were to trade, I would be going long NASDAQ for November.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, let's turn to Dracula and the Grinch. <laughs> uh, the Grinch first, because I hear from Dracula a lot. I mean, you have been, you have been negative stocks for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the balance of the entire year. Have you come around at all to a more positive view or no?
0: No, the, 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 the bite of the Fed tightening, the lag effect is only going to increase And we're going to see further slowdown in economic activity, leading to lower earnings and more disappointments and pressure on the stock market. Stocks have probably seen their high for the year. And the real focus right now uh, for our clients is going to be in the bond market, and that's where the action is. And as Joe mentioned with the refunding, it was positive, but the fact is that the federal government's running a $1.5 trillion deficit, and the bond issuance is going to accelerate and put pressure on yields. However, where they are now is a very, very acceptable level for investing. So what happens, Weiss, if, you know, later
1: today, Powell acknowledges what's happened in the bond market to a significant enough point that he leads everybody to believe that they are done, that they don't have to do anymore, because the bond yield backup has already done a lot of the work and the heavy lift. Mm-hmm. for the fed and yet he's confident about the economy enough that he leads us to believe that soft landing still a possibility that he thinks inflation is going to continue to moderate how how does the market take those comments today
4: well i think given what the sell-off in the market we've seen in nasdaq over the last three months that the markets look for any reason to rally but i don't think that'll be the case i, I think it's unrealistic to assume that powell's going to go from being super hawkish to even giving the doves something to hang on to. So he will give a nod, possibly, to the tighter credit conditions and to the slowing economy. He may say we're going towards soft landing, although I don't think he's going to predict it. That's not what they do. I just think that, you know, to his point, that he's right that it doesn't matter if the fed's done what matters is where rates are how long they've been there and how long they will be there and that die is cast so the economy is going to continue to slow and it doesn't matter we don't have to declare today that we're going to recession or not i think we are but the fact is that's the direction markets trade on direction and that's where so i don't think there's much upside to the market well it pops here and there but the market's brutal
1: underlying the averages i mean it really is single stock volatility is a killer. All right. Well, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a second. Um, market right now is pricing out any more hikes. 21% in December, 28% in January. That's, you know, that moved a little bit, I think, after that data came out. Steve Leisman, our senior economics correspondent down in D.C., obviously, because he's going to be uh, in that room asking Chair Powell uh, a question today. What, what do you think's likely, Steve, that, that we get today from the chair?
5: Well, I I think that there is some risk here that the chair tries to be a little bit more hawkish than the market is. And I want to just talk about the idea he's got a couple problems here. The first problem he has is that, remember, the committee statement is still sort of leaning towards additional hikes. So is, as far as we know, the most recent forecast. Then he's got this strong economic data that still seems to be out there a bit weaker today. The bigger problem, though, is how the market is priced. You guys were just talking about that. Take a look at the probabilities here. Zero on November, that's going to happen today. And then a very small, that's not the one I want to talk about first. I'll come back to that or I can talk about that right now, which is look at what after the September meeting, there's the one I want to talk about, 21% probability in December, 28% in January, almost no chance in the market that the Fed hikes. But now look at the change from December, where he had the market on at least an even chance, or a 46% probability of a hike, and now it's just 21%. And so what is the question here? The question here, I think, is does the chair try to move the market back to a place where he has some flexibility to hike? Is he concerned that the market is too, has gone too far along in pricing out hikes and then on the verge of pricing and cuts that he may not seem to be necessary. So the first question is, does he sort of lean hawkish? The other question is, does the market really take in or embrace that hawkish say, so you know what? You may talk hawkish, Powell, but we're done with you. You're done. We're over. Well, I, I wonder
1: how many times today he uses the word patience because of what's happened in the bond market Steve, and, and where yields have gone and that currency that he probably feels he has now because of the bond market as we just suggested yeah. and you've said numerous times
5: doing a lot of the work for him right but but you, you started the segment saying it's not what they do it's what they say at some point it is what they do and the question is mr chairman do two pauses equal an extended hold? This will be the first time they haven't hiked over a two-meeting span since early 2022. And if they set this up for a third one, well, you know what, the market's gonna say, okay, you're talking tough, Mr. Powell, but at the end of the day, you're not acting tough, so I'm gonna start to price out that hike. Now, that may be okay in the sense that if the economic data weakens, I think he's okay with that. I just don't think he wants to emerge from this meeting with the market being more dovish because of things he said.
1: Mm, great point you make, um, especially underscoring the fact that it would be two pauses in a, in a row. Right. We need to get our arms around that too. We'll see what happens. Steve, we'll look for you in the room too. Can't wait for your question later. And I'll see you on closing bell, Steve Leisman down in DC ahead of all of that. Okay, now Rich Saperstein, just something you alluded to. You said, I think the words, the exact words you said, the real actions in the bond market. Mm. So Stanley Druckenmiller, right? Legendary investor recently bought what was described as a massive position on the short end in in the two year. So he was on Squawk Box this morning, talked about rising deficits, um, what it's gonna take to fund that as a result, this sort of new environment we're in and what it means for the markets. I want you to listen.
5: It, It seems that bonds are adjusting to a post QE world, but for some reason equities haven't. So that's part of the problem I think Given everything I just talked about and given the geopolitical situation, everything else, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that we're not gonna continue to sell at 20 times earnings over a long period of time.
1: So this to me smacks of almost exactly what David Tepper told me a couple of weeks ago. From QE to QT, different environment, different multiple. The greatest wild card is what's the right multiple? No one really knows. But Druckenmiller's point is that that multiple, 20 times or near then, is definitely too high in this new post QE rising deficit, slowing economic world.
0: Make sense? Total sense because you're having pressure on corporate earnings, uh, rising rates are putting pressure on borrowers, both in mortgages uh... student loans uh... auto but i think there's a framework to look at uh... take a client that is wealthy and wants to stay wealthy and you have a targeted rate of return there so let's say they want to double their money in ten years they need a seven percent tax-free rate of return well last week we were generating five percent on ten-year lockout munis so if i've got five percent nailed on tax-free rates of return How much risk do I have to really take for a client that wants to double their money in 10 years on the equity market? Couple that with where multiples are based on expectations of 246 in earnings on the S&P next year, don't see it happening. So it's a good time to pull back on risk and focus on where there's opportunity, especially in the tax-free mini market. This
1: is like, this is what you hear. It's there's, uh, there's, there's better risk reward, Joe, outside, of the stock market, whether it's Stan Druckenmiller, one of the greatest ever. Um, Dubravko Lekos was with us yesterday, JP Morgan. When I said, what is the best idea you have right now? And he said this. It's right now. very
2: simple. The whole
1: year we have been saying cash is king. Why? Because we're
2: saying you can basically clip roughly 5% yield at zero risk. So the sharp ratio of that
1: proposal is pretty darn good. Equities better give you 12%, 15%, not that easy. All right, now I got one guy saying bonds. I got another guy saying cash. Mm -hmm. What do you make of that? So for the answer to be cash, you have to
2: believe that the environment over the next several years is stagflation. I don't see it that way. I don't think we have stagflation. I think we have a deflationary force that continues to emanate from technology. I believe that when you look out over the next 12 months, what you're witnessing is that the better opportunity absolutely is in the bond market. I think that's clear. And a lot of the reasoning behind that is, yes, you have that, de- <clears throat> you have that deflationary force of technology. But in fact, you also have, in addition to that, a slowing economy. So manufacturing, 12 consecutive months now in contraction yep. territory. Uh, Canada Goose, what did we hear from them this morning? Estee Lauder, what did we hear from them? Charles Schwab announcing a very unfortunate, significant reduction in headcount. It's beginning. The lags are taking hold, and the economy is going to contract, and therefore you have two powerful forces that work to the advantage of bond investors. Well, because he,
1: he Bryn, Druckenmiller, you know, thinks that you're going to get that re-steepening of the, of the yield curve, right the short ends going to start going down on economic concerns more than anything else so you buy a massive position there you get a re steepening of the yield curve which is a precursor to the recession which he must think is on the horizon based on on what he said
3: well i mean we've already seen a steepening of the yield curve because the short end's only going to come down if the fed brings it down right the steepening's had uh, happened on the long end of the curve and so I I think that a macro trader like Stan says, over the next two years, I can have a bird in the hand five year, 5%, I'll take that all day long. And that seems to be a very good trade. I think outside of some munis that you see on the longer end and then in the money market world, I think bonds, long duration bonds, you're gonna grow poor safely. They're a terrible hedge against inflation. So I'll take cash, And some munis all day long on the short end. And then equities longer term are the best hedge against inflation in the public markets, which is what this show is talking about.
0: Scott, here's the risk of cash right now and short duration bonds. It's simply reinvestment risk. So anyone who buys a six month or a one year or a two year and getting five and a quarter, five and a half percent taxable, what's the reinvestment rate going to be if the economy starts slowing and then the Fed starts cutting? So what I'm trying to do is get out past that and say, look, I'm happy, lucky, in longer term, and I don't want to take the reinvestment risk of shorter-term paper. But there's still, you know, investment advisors, Weiss, who make the argument,
1: you're still, if you're a longer-term investor, going to be better in equities, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get er- reasonably good earnings growth over over that period of time, reinvestment of dividends and the like, and you're going to do just fine in equities. Now, we're not playing for the two-month time frame. We're playing for the right. two-year time frame at minimum.
4: I find the ones that come on this show and other shows that say that, they're not the asset allocators. They're only equity. So that's what they're going to say. If you go back to 2022, right, they're saying and said, in a year, we'll be fine. And then, no, in two years, you'll be fine. Three years, you'll be glad you own this. But, you know, as I've said repeatedly, your return is defined by your point of entry. This is not the time to go into the market. But you've also made the point on numerous occasions on this show that stocks go up like 80% of the time. And there's that other 20% where it can be brutal. So I, I think when you have, I think this is a fat pitch on a declining market frankly. We're seeing it in the data, as Joe pointed out. We're seeing it in monetary policy. We're seeing it in a lack, frankly, of fiscal policy. Right. So now is when it's the perfect storm for markets to decline. So look, which is
1: which is uh, some would suggest right. also that there are too many people now on that side of the boat. But they're not. But they're not. You know, and just Even back. Stan himself said. Even, Stan, even Stan's but, been he, but he made the point that, yeah, I've been negative. I, I've i got the bond market right. right. I got all that right, but I got the stock market wrong. Because got, the stock market still went up in the wrong. face of
4: all that. He got seven stocks wrong. He's yeah. playing the market. Look at, look at all these other stocks. He got it very right. But if he's playing the S&P futures, then of course he got it wrong. But the point is, Scott, is that you don't have to invest. You don't have to every day put money in. You could still make money. I'm comfortable going two years out because I think that if that happens with the Fed okay. cutting rates because the economy is going into maybe not a tailspin, but definitely towards a recession, and then the market will move higher at that point. <laughs>
1: let's talk. Let's yeah. let, Hold on real quick. Let, let's talk about somebody. He knew this was, <laughs> he knew this was oh boy. <laughs> Let's talk about somebody who has to be invested, has yes. to be invested. 100%. Um, long only. Long only. Long only your JOT ETF. Yes. Which you rebalanced because it was the end of the quarter, and now we have the moves that you made, which I want to go through them because there are several interesting ones, as yes. there usually are. Um, many tech moves. Mm-hmm. Probably saw this coming, at least in some respects. You mm-hmm. sold Tesla down 23% in three months. Take me to that first. So that's just a
2: breakdown in momentum, and I think it's a great example of the lack of momentum, as Bryn, you and I talked about before the show. There, you're going to go through periods, and remember, this is a momentum-based product with a defensive layer being added upon it, which is the quality factor. There's no momentum. There hasn't been. And momentum. the fundamentals
4: broke down too, in addition to the momentum. There has
2: not been any momentum in the market. So Tesla is a perfect example of where you've witnessed that breakdown in momentum. We re-entered that mega cap name in July uh, at a much higher level. And now, because of the breakdown of momentum, we're getting out of it here. Uh, the rules dictate that that's exactly what we should do. We're still maintaining exposure to a lot of the mega caps that we put back on in April, which have worked out nicely. Yeah, there Nvidia, were no other,
1: no other mega cap moves. I no. wanna make sure that the viewers still, are aware we're of that. We're still
2: holding Nvidia. We're still holding Microsoft. We're still holding uh, Meta. Those three have worked out incredibly well. We're holding Apple. That's basically a wash. Alphabet were down a little, and we haven't been in Amazon since July of 2022. Okay,
1: so you sold AMD. Yes, That's down 12% in the last three months. Price targets cut today after earnings. Stock did reverse, though, um, higher. But nonetheless, you, you obviously feel momentum's lost.
2: So, it, w- what's interesting about that is, is there are uh, as our good friend, um, as as our good friend um, Adam always tells us from Trivariate, there oh, are Adam Parker. Adam Parker. So there's he's
1: such a good friend we
2: can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. What's his name again? <laughs> there's um, there's facts. Our, my best friend. What's his face? Yeah. There, there's facts and then there's feelings. I was going to call him Adam, Adam Sandler, by the way. Um, so <laughs>
3: that's a compliment.
2: Yeah. So there's facts and there's feelings. So when when you think about AMD, the feeling that I have, you know, I listened to Josh yesterday. I, I think AMD is going to be fine. I think AMD is going to participate in generative AI, and I think over the long term. It will be an AI winner. But as you point out, momentum has broken, but something else is broken. You can't ignore the fact that there is a deterioration in revenue. Revenue's down 18% in the previous quarter. Okay, It's down 9% over the last four quarters. And now compare that to with it being up an average of 52% over the last 36 months. The revenue is in decline.
1: So you sold Ansys, you sold Keysight, you sold Texas Instruments. That stock's gotten really hurt.
2: That's really taking the the semiconductor exposure down. Mm -hmm. The semiconductor industry was the highest single industry weighting that we had uh, in the ETF. That comes down now. It's the second highest industry weighting. In terms
1: of what you bought, Autodesk, Checkpoint, Cognizant, Gartner, Palo Alto. Yeah. So you're getting bigger in cyber. Uh, Palo
2: Alto is the one that stands out. I obviously own that personally. Uh, Being added recently to the S&P 500, we now have the ability to take a position there in what clearly is a very strong uh, momentum winner
1: you want to touch on any of the others? I mean, Autodesk, as I said, Gartner, Cognizant. Each
2: each one of those, Scott, I think have to prove themselves over over the coming quarters. You could define each of them in particular, Cognizant, as having very strong balance sheets. I think it's the quality factor more than the momentum factor. We're studying two factors here. I thought they
1: had to have both.
2: Well, they, they can have both, but one could be more of the contributing factor into why it is added into the portfolio than the other. But there is, in essence, a hybrid between the two, which is being nurtured, um, and the
1: reason why they're being added. Okay, so Bryn from the committee, do you wanna take a shot at any of these? Uh, What you like, what you don't like, you obviously have Tesla, which you got rid of, but what, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, I mean, Tesla's a good example. I mean, I think I traded Tesla really well. I think from a trade, I like to match fundamentals and technicals. So I bought it at 115, I think 115 when all the Tesla was going on and then I think I bought it at 150 and 170. I then sold calls against those positions because I see the energy and I think it's a hard company to value, right? Because things change quickly and they were cutting back on um, prices. And so both those two of my positions got called away at 220 and 190. So I'm comfortable that way. I think on momentum, I mean, you run the strategy. It's like we traditionally have had momentum last multiple quarters, if not years, and that this has just been this strange market where the past year and a half momentum is just breaking down very quickly. So that's where I think if you just look at the big sectors in the market outside of energy, every sector is technically broken. And so I think that makes it tough right now. And that's where I think I think we can get a season seasonality rally. But technically nothing looks great except for energy, which is still negative for the year, but holding in there on that on that perspective.
1: We we have. In the segments coming up, we're going to go through other sectors because you have a lot, whether it's in energy or healthcare, care uh, or in some cases retail, too. I also want to be clear. You said on the air the other day that you're underperforming the market, the S&P. Uh, you're not benchmarked though against the S&P, right? You're, you're, no. aren't you benchmarked against well, the factor of mo- of momentum?
2: Look, I have the
1: privilege to sit
2: in this seat, so the viewers are going to benchmark me versus the S. Well, there's no question that they're I going get to that. do that. Okay, I understand that. But the benchmark is against momentum itself, and just so to be clear, momentum investing is real. There's billions of dollars in momentum ETFs, nearly $10 billion in momentum ETFs. And if you study a factor of momentum relative to the S&P, over the last 10 to 15 years, it outperforms. You're just going through this body, this period of time in which you're seeing the underperformance. it's probably because of the normalization of monetary policy. But yes, in fact, I look at where we are and I measure us relative to momentum. I also, okay, I disagree with the premise that we should be benchmarked to the S&P, and I'll share with you why. The median median market cap on the S&P is 183 billion. The median market cap in this strategy is 44 billion. Why? We're equally weighted. So when you're equally weighted and you don't own the mega caps, guess what you trade like? You trade like a small cap. And basically, we are correlating right now
1: to the Russell. That's what our correlation is currently. All right. I'm glad you explained that. Let's take a quick break. We come back. I said Joe's got many moves in many sectors. We're going to go through them. We'll find out how the committee is positioned. We'll do that next. All right. Welcome back. Told you we have a lot more moves to go through from Joe's rebalance energy. Uh, it's tied for the third largest largest sector holding for you right near 13 percent. That's well ahead of the market. Yes. Right. Um, you bought oxy. Yes. And Pioneer PX. Correct.
2: Adding to the energy exposure. Uh, and let's be clear, the overweight exposure within the strategy to energy. But there there's no other sector that can compare uh, to that. Um, By the way, the activity in this rebalance was the lowest that we've experienced since January of 2021. There's only 22 names that went in and out. So I said the other day, less is more. But we really maintain the energy overweight exposure. But I'll say this about energy. This is a prove-it quarter. This quarter coming up, it has to happen for energy. Or I suspect that you will begin to see the strategy reduce significantly the exposure to energy. I think we're at that moment. Mm -hmm. I think we're at the moment where we've witnessed so far relative underperformance in the energy sector to the other sectors year to date, and now it's time for energy to step forward and advance from here and begin to outperform.
1: It has to do that. Brent, it's the worst sector in October, down 6%. You obviously have a ton of exposure there. We get a ton of earnings tomorrow, before the bell, after the bell, even today after the bell with Marathon. What are your thoughts?
3: So I think from actually a momentum strategy, This is interesting because there's a ton of dispersion of return. So like this year, a Diamondbacks up 18%, crushing the S&P, by the way, right? Each energy transfer up 10%. You see a lot of individual energy names have done very, very well, with the juxtaposition of a Devon, which I also own, is down 25%. So I think it really matters what you own. We prefer to play RSPG, which is the equal weight, because I don't want to have 40% of the portfolio in Exxon and Chevron. Mm. I want to have more smaller and mid-cap exposure, like the marathons, like the Diamondbacks. And RSPG gives you that. And so you don't have just such a big, I think, headwind of what those two companies do. But I think it's a great momentum strategy going into the end well, of the year. We're
2: equal weighted as well. So, so we yeah. look we look at it the same way. It's not mm-hmm. as if we we have uh, excessive exposure to Exxon Mobil, and Chevron, mm-hmm. which market cap weighted would.
1: Rich, you have a lot of exposure here. Canadian Naturals, your biggest, but you're in Exxon Chevron. You do have Oxy, uh, the
0: XLE. I think there's a very bigger picture here in the energy space. Uh, First of all, it represents uh, 4.5%, 4.7% of the S&P market value, but it's contributing 11% of the earnings to the S&P. Secondly, in the last 5 years, all the energy companies have really found religion and reduced their exploratory and capex activities in geopolitically unfavorable places and they brought it home. They've conserved cash, they've cleaned up their balance sheets, they're and they're right more now, shareholder friendly. They are way more shareholder friendly, but also we have companies generating 10, 12, 14% of, of free cash flow. Look at Shell right now. So, Shell got a new CEO January 1. They're, they bought back 10% of the company in the first half of the year, and their free cash flow, not their operating cash flow, is approaching 18% a year now. The one you mentioned, Canadian Natural, it's 10% a year of free cash flow. Exxon, $430 billion company, $46 billion of free cash flow. What are all these companies doing with it? They're returning it to shareholders through dividends and CapEx. In an environment where we have 5% structural interest rates, okay, capital allocation is going to be very important for companies and those with free cash flow are the ones that I want to own. Energy is the plus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha.
7: Hi, Scott. Five Americans are on the list of foreign passport holders that are expected to pass through the Rafah crossing in Egypt today, according to a list compiled by the Gaza Border Authority and confirmed by NBC News. The State Department said U.S. citizens will be assigned specific departure dates out of Gaza. Jordan's ambassador to Israel is also leaving the region. The country recalled the official to express its disapproval of the war in Gaza. Jordan's deputy prime minister and foreign minister said the ambassador will only return once the war is halted. The statement added that Israel's ambassador will not be allowed to return to Jordan under current conditions. And here at home, a rescue operation is underway in Kentucky after a shuttered coal preparation plant collapsed. Workers were removing machinery to repair the facility for demolition. At least one man was killed and one is trapped in the accident. Missing at this point, the governor declared a state of emergency while rescue efforts continue. Scott.
1: All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Coming up, a check-in on healthcare. Humana HumanaShare is pulling back. Weiss is in that one. We just showed Joe T because we're going to get his takes, too. You got anything important on there you were looking at? You good? <laughs> just <All> right. it. <laughs> yeah. We're back
6: after this.
1: All right, welcome back. Our chart of the day today is Humana, earnings beat, but what's the deal, Weiss? Um, they they only affirmed their outlook, or reaffirmed it. So is that why there's some disappointment in that name today, down four percent?
4: Two reasons. That's one because you said, okay, you had this beat, why didn't you raise it for the beat? And the other is the loss ratio. They moved that up slightly in the range. I think both are ridiculous, candidly. I mean, stocks at about sixteen times, uh, seventeen times. Uh, earnings, which is pretty cheap for this company, pretty dependable. Um, to me, it's a buy, but unfortunately, in this market, sort of got to wait around because the market's unrelenting in terms of not just one day down, the exception of Meta. Um, so I like it. I still think that this is the place to be, both Humana and United UnitedHealth. United is my much bigger position, uh, but this one, you know, I
1: mean, it's painful watching it. It's been a tread the water. Tread water trade, right? I mean, year to date, it's done nothing. It's not like it's down a lot, but it's yeah. just not up. It's it's not been a tread the water trade for
4: me. Again, your point of entry defines your return. Well, true. I
1: got it in a pretty good spot here.
4: So I'm pretty happy with it. I'm not selling it. Uh, I'll look to, it's uh, probably
1: add when it settles down. Okay, Bryn. in terms of healthcare, AbbVie, that's your best one, maybe your only one.
3: Yeah, but I mean, healthcare was my stock summit sector for the year. Mm. And so like going into 2023, I felt we're late-stage economic cycle, and the three sectors you want to own are staples, utilities, and healthcare. I thought both staples and utilities were really expensive relative to their history. So I felt healthcare gave you that, like, kind of garpy growth at a reasonable price. But you know what? The sector's down 9.5% for the year. It just hasn't delivered as as I thought it was. That being said, I'm gonna stick with it. I mean, I think Ab, AbbVie had numbers last week. They're actually good numbers. But in this market, this 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 quarter, if you miss anything, if there's anything even remotely that the market doesn't like, you're going to get sold off. So I'm definitely I will add to Avi at some point this year. But I think as a purchaser of equities, um, I'm going to wait a little bit longer on that because the chart doesn't look great.
1: What jumps out to me the most, Joe, in terms of your moves. I'm ready. Is <laughs> that you sold Merck. Yep. A long-standing name personally and in the T. Yes.
2: June, Why? June of 2021. Uh, we entered Merck both you know, personally and in the strategy. 74.50 was the entry price so we're getting out at 102 here again personally and in the strategy. Uh, the momentum in Merck has broken down. plain and simple. no further explanation needed. The fundamentals are still in place. It's a quality company, great balance sheet, a lot of great a uh, lot of great drugs in the pipeline. But unfortunately, the momentum
1: has broken down, and that's the reaction. Okay, so you bought Lilly, Viva, and Zoetis. Yes. Uh, The interesting one is is Lilly because of what you you got rid of it
2: in a prior rebalance. Now you add it back in this one. All right. So let's kind of walk through the process, and I'll ask my good friend Stephen Weiss to to see if he agrees with this. Buy the stock in August of April, uh, in April of 2022, at 290. Buy the stock there sell the stock out in July of this year at 453. In August, that's why I said August. August is on my mind. August, stock gaps up to 500, okay? Takes off from there. Everyone says, well, you got out of Eli Lilly. Now you have the quarter re- quarterly rebalance. The stock is at 553. What do you do? Do you just sit there and lament that you got out of it, or do you follow the rules and you go back in again? Me, uh, in this market, I'm not going back in. Okay, okay. you got
3: to follow the rules. You, know? you got to you follow. Gotta follow, follow the rules. I mean, you have to
2: go back in again. You can't yeah. sit there and lament the fact yeah. that you got out of something. All right, you were in it for in excess of 15 months. You wrote it from 290 up to 453 is a great trading lesson there. Now it gaps away from you, you're out of the stock. You don't sit there and go, oh, I feel so bad for myself. I was in the stock and the stock went higher. I'm not in the stock anymore. No, you have to react, you have to go back in the stock. Why? Because the stock's 553 and the stock, the stock could go easily to seven, $800.
4: I, I don't see momentum. I see, down. I'm looking at the chart right now. I don't see where, uh, unless you tell me, I'm sorry, did you say you're shorter? Because it's all downside momentum. <laughs> or are you saying you're long it? Uh, but Where do you see the downside momentum? In the I'm world? seeing the stock coming down. For as you said, from 600 the, to 553. At yeah, look, is, look at the, the chart is, over the last year. It how it do you, how did you say I that? I mean,
2: yeah, the chart looks great, by the way. And by the way, the reason, even though I'm an investor, reason, I don't, yeah. you think that chart looks great? You don't think that chart looks good over the last year? The reason why it was sold, by the way, in Q2, it was sold in Q2 because it went basically flat. So the momentum was incredibly strong. From April of 2022 into April of 2023, then the momentum kind of goes sideways, right? And you're responding to the sideways nature of that momentum. That's where you move the, move the stock side gap up. Stock.
4: Why the stock gap you up? You don't think that chart looks good, wise? It's
2: fundamentals. like
4: uh, <laughs> no. fundamentally, like a double. What were the fundamentals specifically? It was on it was on a drug, right? Okay, <laughs> right. It's on the So that brought it up the bloom has come off that rose a little bit. How do you on know that? that? Well, I, I'm yeah, not Dr. just saying it. The stock's yeah. saying it.
2: How is the stock saying it? The stock's down ten percent. Hold on, hold on. Where did it gap the, from? Wh- what's the multiple? What was the gap 4- price? Four forty-five
3: is where it started before
2: it gapped. Where is it now?
1: Five fifty.
3: So, how, so how, is, how
2: is that the, the stock price I,
4: I see their support, maybe down another, you know, ten percent.
2: Okay. Yeah. And to answer your question, trades seventy-eight times. It's richly valued. Momentum doesn't take that into account. Quite candidly, we talk about I can. We talk about we talk about valuation all the time on this show, right? Right. Is valuation really the catalyst for where future returns are going to be and where you want to be?
4: It's, it's not momentum either. It's fundamental. I didn't it's ask that
2: question. Short-term. I didn't ask that question. I said, is valuation? Because you
4: asked me yes, what's it's valuation? one part of it. Absolutely, it's one part of it. I look at valuation of every stock I buy. Bottoms up, fundamental. Charts are fine. I do look at them a little bit. But basically, fundamentals
2: can control what I do. Okay. Does not work in all cases, from my opinion, when you look at valuation. You have stocks trading at single PEs for a decade. Then a stock goes nowhere.
4: Yep. As I said, fundamentals also.
2: All right. All right.
4: Yeah. So, that was a good debate. Was uh, all that. It was fine. Yeah. But it's like time to end it now. He wants right. to move on. Right. I,
1: was, I was getting bored of it. Well, well, you were talking. That's why. Yeah. But, oh, and Mike I was
4: Jay so nice to do this show, Joe.
2: <laughs>
1: Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joins us now for his midday word. What are you thinking here? we got a lot ahead of us, obviously. We've got some decent news for both yields and stocks earlier today.
8: We did. At least, certainly, the absence of uh, anticipated negative news, I guess that qualifies as good news in this tape. Markets still very much in the prove-it zone. Uh, we talked uh, near the close last night, Scott, about how you know we broke this little short-term downtrend. Uh, we did have some broadening out. Some of the most laggard groups did get some relief. But uh, all, if all we're doing is working off the oversold levels and then getting uh, put up on a T tee to get smacked again, that's the question. Uh, another percent and a half higher on the S&P 500 probably is a hurdle uh, to prove that this could be a decent low for, uh, for now. Uh, I do think it's, it's going to be about whether Powell decides he really wants to work to put uh, that December meeting More live. Make it more live. Make it more like uh, they still seem vigilant as opposed to uh, the the predominant feeling being that the Fed finished in July.
1: Yeah, because as we showed at the top of our program with Steve Leisman, 21 percent chance in December, 28 for January. So the market's all but priced this out.
8: It has. And, uh, you know, Again, the 25 basis points on the short end wouldn't be that big a difference. But it would keep us on this treadmill, the sense out there that the Fed wants to bring the economy to a a significant slowdown and and have it operate under potential for a while. And while the market has been bracing for something like that, you still have to kind of wait around to see if it it came to reality.
1: Yeah, I'll see you in a couple hours. We'll see how this whole thing unfolds. I'll look forward to that. Mike, thank you. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Coming up, we're hitting more of Joe's moves. Got two retail stocks he just sold. You need to know about those. We'll do it next. All right, we're back. Uh, You sold Nike. Give me that first before we get to the other one. No, but I mean, anytime somebody sells a you know a blue chip name like that, blue or what chip. was yeah. perceived to be a blue chip, I don't know, it's <laughs> yeah. just like a big deal. Yeah. No,
2: I, I understand that, and I know a lot of uh, a lot of committee members are you know in, have traded Nike and are still long Nike from the long side, but there's been a significant impact on revenue from the slowdown in Asia, and then in addition to that, it's been reflected in what we're seeing in the price action. And the rules are, you know, having us move clearly to the sidelines on it. We entered the trade at a poor price. I will acknowledge that. There was a significant run-up earlier in the year, and the strategy uh, turned the green light on, if you would, so to speak, to the stock because of that run-up. We entered at a very high price point, somewhere around 124. So we were punished on it immediately from date of purchase. You also sold Ulta Beauty, which today Oppenheimer said by the dip. Listen, this stock is, is a stock that over the years I've discussed on the show, I've owned it on the show. It is a quality company. It is a company that trades at a reasonable valuation, but it is also a company that has been in the strategy since July of 2021. The entry price was 335 The stock is pulling back. The exit price is 381 um, the strategy doesn't like turning winners into losers. That's not what, when you're identifying momentum as a factor you wanna be seeing, uh, bearing witness to. So I understand why the liquidation occurred. As I said, it doesn't change. It is a very good company.
1: Rich Saperstein, what do you think
2: of these? I don't
0: own any of them.
1: It's you own Costco sp- and Home Depot, yeah. that's yeah. it? Yeah,
0: I, 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 I don't really go into uh, areas where I can't see it and touch it every single day. So Costco is a name I've owned since 98. You don't uh, own any Nikes? Wow. Don't own Nike, has, don't own it. Uh, I mean, uh, you don't own any Nikes? I, I own, I go to the gym in Nikes every day. Oh, uh, you said you need to feel it, touch it, I mean, you can uh, see it. Uh, it's not a name, I, apparel and footwear, it's not something I want to invest in. Okay, Bryn, he got out of that real quick. Did yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> you see that? That was good,
0: huh? That
1: was like a was like, I mean, I just punt.
3: think there's, there are so few stocks but outperform even the 30-day T-bill, by the way, over long periods of time, much less outperform the S&P. And so we have a high hurdle, right? And so I think these consumer names, I mean, I was looking at Ulta technically, like you had to sell that. Mm-hmm. That looked terrible. So if you're like a momentum base, Nike also. And so I do think it's important to read the room and the market's saying Nike and Ulta are sells right now. I think as an investor, I would want to wait till that turns because the rule is don't buy a stock making new 52-week lows and don't short a stock making 52-week highs, Ulta and Nike would violate that first rule.
4: Weiss. I, I think it's very tough to buy a consumer stock. I'm going to bet you own a Home Depot for a long time.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've added to it. Uh, but the theory there is that uh, homeowners are not going to get out of their house because they can't they got to spend to redo it right so yeah. they're going to remodel their their homes because they're stuck in their homes with low low mortgages low interest
4: rate mortgages yeah home Depot's it's a permanent compounder over time so it's on my buy list but The consumer's tapped out. We see it so many times. The the one off retail numbers aside, I just think you got two issues. You got to predict taste and trends, and then you got to predict the consumer health. Consumer health's not good. All right, quick break, final trades after
1: that. Three o'clock Eastern today. (laughs) Oh, man. Right after Jay Powell. Jeffrey Gunlock joins. (laughs) I hope you'll join me then.
3: Final trade. Yeah.
1: You guys are too much. All right, let's do final (laughs) trade. Rich. Should we go to Weiss first? Rich.
0: (laughs) Rich. Final trade. What are you looking at me for? Aqualong. No. uh, uh, Canadian Natural Resources (CNQ) four percent dividend yield. All right. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh, you finished up. I no. mean, I was like, you got more to say. Like, free, like it was like yield, like there was more to come. Flow, yield, oil, Normally, sand. it's like I finished yield. Not yield, like there was more. Oil sands
0: company in, California. Right. in, right. in, in Canada. White. Tesla,
2: short, by okay. the puts.
3: Microsoft.
2: Yesterday, we bought yeah. Apollo. We also bought train
1: technologies. Okay. Uh, just to reiterate, right after Chair Powell's done, Jeffrey Gunlock will join me on Closing Bell. I hope you will as well. I will see you then. The exchange is now.